Welcome to the Mentia Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. I'm Solveig Brown, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Gerardo Sula, who is currently living in Barcelona. We are going to discuss some best practices for cross-cultural communication and leading global teams. Gerardo will offer great advice on expanding one's influencing skills, especially when working remotely or on a global team. He will also share his strategies for rolling out successful mergers and acquisitions in a way that honors both organizational cultures. Before we begin, let me give you some background information on Gerardo. Gerardo Sula is a global human resources leader with international experience in Latin America, North America, and Europe. He led a team that pioneered the first global people strategy in one of the largest private companies in the world. He has led multicultural teams in over 20 countries on four continents. Throughout his career, Gerardo has developed and implemented strategic HR programs that resulted in maintaining both exceptional employee engagement and a productive work environment. He also has a strong track record of success in managing and supporting organizational realignments related to business transformation. He is an expert in identifying and developing talent. He has coached managers of all levels to become effective leaders, and he is a champion for diversity and inclusion in the workplace. He has received multiple Best Employer and Best Regional Company for Leaders Awards in Latin America. He is also a former member of the board of directors of one of the largest companies in Argentina. Gerardo has been a mentor for Mentium since 2010. Welcome, Gerardo. I am so happy to have you as a guest today. Thank you, Salve. It's my pleasure to meet you and our audience today. You have lived and worked all over the world, and you have mentored people in many different cultures, including the U.S., the U.K., Brazil, and Colombia. What have you learned about connecting with and mentoring people from a culture different from your own? Well, for those of us that had the opportunity to connect with uh, people from other parts of the world, one of the most wonderful experiences is all those learnings and insights that you get from people through your interactions with them. No matter if these interactions are casual, uh, social, or professional, is all about enriching you as an individual, not because they speak your language or because they share your point of view about life and profession, but because they are diverse. And that diversity brings you the value to you both personally and, and professionally. A little bit about my background. My ancestors were French, Spanish, and Italians. And they moved to Argentina about a century ago. So I was born in Argentina and I had the opportunity very early in my career to work and live in various places in Latin America, North America, and Europe, as, we, as you said. Um, in perspective, I could say that uh, this background has really contributed uh, to open my mind when approaching people from different countries and cultures with a sense of curiosity and assuming I had so much to learn from them. Now, as a mentor, I learned and practiced some important aspects for an effective construction of a productive mentorship relation with, as we said, people from different backgrounds. But one important thing that I learned from this interaction was that prior to a first meeting, I had to learn as much as I could about the context of the country from where the mentee is coming from. 
questions like, what is the social, political, and economic context that this person is experiencing in their own country? What is the context of the company that this person is working for? What are the main aspects of the culture of this country? What is the social protocol that will ensure that as a leader or a mentor, I need to know so that this person feels comfortable during our professional relationship? Is the Spanish language spoken the same in different parts of Latin America or Spain? Probably it's not. In fact, there are some words in Spanish commonly used in Spain that you better don't use them in Mexico or Argentina. Is English identically spoken and written in the US and UK? Is Portuguese the spoken the same in Brazil and Portugal? So in my own experience, being aware as early as possible in the mentorship program about the peculiarities of the country, especially those that came from the mentee, provides a fantastic context before you immerse in the mentorship program. In brief, as somebody said, context is everything. I love that. Context is everything. And I really appreciate that you do background research in terms of thinking about all those questions, thinking about the broader sociocultural environment that person is living and working in. And I think that says a lot about just that prep before your first meeting even, so that you kind of hit the ground having some knowledge, some information about what it might be like, and then you can ask follow-up questions from there, but I love that strategy. Thank you very much. So another question I have for you is that you have led, you know, multidisciplinary teams based in 20 countries and four continents. The teams you have supported have won multiple local and international awards for your human resources practices and your positive employee engagement. So many of our mentees now are working on global teams. They might be leading global teams. And so we get so many questions about how you can learn to better communicate. So I'm so excited that you are here because you are the expert. So can you offer advice on how to effectively communicate when you are leading or working with a cross-cultural team? Well, I think it's a great and a very challenging question. For many years, I asked myself what it takes to become an effective leader when you lead people that live and work in other parts of the world. I think there is not a magic formula, but as we said before, if we take the time to understand the culture context, the social context, the individual context, and we approach the relationship with empathy, then you have very good chances to become an effective leader from a relationship standpoint. Let me give you a couple of examples. The perception of time depends on the culture from where you're coming from, right? If someone from other part of the world is telling you that the work will be completed soon, then you might want to double check what soon means for that person. Right. Is it today? <laughs> is it in a week from now? Then there are cultures where the word no is rarely used. Uh, therefore, if somebody tells you, uh, doesn't mean that they understood your point and that they agree uh, with what you are saying. So you might need to double check what the ha really means before we jump a conclusion. 
right? Right, right. Finally, how do you balance the need to socialize with the partner with the need to start focusing on the purpose of the call, right? Do we use one minute at the beginning to socialize? Is it five minutes? Is it 10 minutes? I have an anecdote to share with, with you and the audience. It was my first trip to, to Asia and I spent half a day leading a presentation to a local leadership team. During the session, I noted that I had almost no question from participants. Mm -hmm. At the end of the presentation, the leader looked around the table and said, okay, uh, no questions, mean agreement. The meeting was over and participants left the room without giving me any piece of feedback or questions to let me ensure that my purpose of that day was achieved. So my first reaction to that experience was that my presentation was not interesting at all. But then I decided to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with all the participants to explore if they had something to say. Guess what? I got tons of feedback and great insights. Oh, right. I learned too late. I learned too late that in that particular culture, the authority of the leader in the room was dominant and that unless the leader creates the environment for a rich discussion, nobody will raise the hand to challenge me or express their opinions. So my lesson learned there, and that happened very early in my career, so I, I thank for that, is explore and learn the culture of the country prior to the visit, so that you will be more prepared to handle the individual and group interactions. That is great advice and learn what some of their norms are in that culture. Like that was such a great example of that, you know, a leader has the hierarchical position in the room and no one is going to challenge you in front of other people. And oh my goodness, that is great advice. Another area that many mentees like to work on is influencing, you know, with or without authority. You have learned to influence people around the globe and, you know, oftentimes you are remote when you're influencing. So what advice would you give to someone on how to influence effectively when you are working remotely with people in other countries? Well, so they, this is a very common situation, especially in matrix organizations or organizations with positions having a double reporting line or when we are in a team of peers that need to make consensus-driven decisions or, for example, when you need to influence somebody that doesn't report, that doesn't report to you. So, so what it takes to, to become more influential, I think building trust is a, a key element that opens the door to influence without authority. You might be trusted by others because they know you and over a period of time you have proven to be somebody to trust. Or you might be trusted not because the person knows you, but because your background demonstrates that you are a person that deserves the opportunity to be trusted. Now, what are the elements that are relevant to build trust, even if you work with a person that is located in a different location? In my experience, people rate the leader high in trust and influence if they are a role model and set a good example, they walk the talk, they honor commitment and keep promises, and they follow through on commitments. And finally, they are willing to go above and beyond when needs to be done. So that's our, my, 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 is my experience in, in, in influence with our authority, which is actually 
uh, why I ex what I, ex what I experienced many for many years in, in my life because people reported to me in the daughter line. So that created a special learning for me to influence without authority, as we said. Right, that the key is about building trust and building Absolutely. trust by showing that you are trustworthy in multiple ways. I love that example. So you also have extensive experience with mergers and acquisitions. What are strategies for successful M&As, especially in terms of melding two organizational cultures together? Well, so they, there are many reasons why merger and acquisitions might fail. Uh, value destruction is, is, is one of them. Poor communication and integration and cultural differences are some of the most common reasons why M&A fail. If these issues are not addressed, it can be very difficult to make merger and acquisition a success. During the M&A process, Probably you have heard leaders saying things like, in this merge, we will keep the best of our respective cultures. Don't worry, we're not planning to impact the culture of your company. Well, experts say, and that was in part my own experience, that there is nothing as a, as a merger of equals, right? Uh, one company always brings the dominant culture to the other. However, the smart companies, might want to preserve certain part of the culture of the purchase entity. In my experience, there are three uh, components to consider a successful M&A. One happens during the due diligence phase. Uh, this is the time when you learn a lot about the company culture, what they say about the culture in the web page, for example what current and former employees say about the organization, what customers and communities uh, say about them. Uh, there are tons of information that help the transaction team to identify cultural difference, identify what can be changed without destroying value, and then create a roadmap uh, for, cultural, for cultural change. If you don't think the culture of a target company is a fit, a good fit, then it is okay to walk away because the two main reasons why M&A fail are one, culture, two, leadership. Right. <laughs> so there are, that, there are two things more than I would like to comment, Solveig. The other thing is change management when you go through an acquisition process. This is one of the most critical parts of M&A. Change management team play a very relevant role, not just making sure that the communication is effective during the process, but also ensuring that all the elements of the integration process have been completed well. And finally, I think here the HR or people managing the transaction needs to take into account is to coach leader on culture so that they understand the leader of the company, understand what is their role in modeling the culture that they want to see in the new combined organization. So if you have these elements into consideration, probably the chances of success in an acquisition are very high. Right. And I like how it goes back to doing the in the due diligence phase of doing the research and figuring out from the get go, whether or not it's a good cultural fit, you know, exactly. for the M&A. That is great. We have time for three final questions. Yeah. The, the first one is, do you have habits that you feel have contributed to your success? Well, <laughs> great question. 
I, I think there are three habits that I think have, has, have helped me during my career, and especially interacting with people from other cultures. Uh, the first, well, as I said before, understand the context of the culture of the person or the team as early as possible in order to minimize wrong assumptions or misunderstanding at the beginning of a relationship, especially. The second is prepare well for your meetings, but be flexible to adapt your own style to the other person or team style. And the third, develop your listening skills. Ask questions, listen their answer, ask for feedback, encourage opinions. I think these three habits have really contributed to the person I am today. Right. And especially your cross-cultural work. I feel like that asking questions, getting feedback, you're always like questioning, always checking in with people. Those are great habits that you've cultivated. What would your advice be to up-and-coming leaders? Oh, wow. What a challenge in front of you, right? For <laughs> the new leaders. The world today is less predictable than 10 or 20 years ago, right? We have climate change, political instability, technology changes, the work of the future. And then you have to put all this together to then realize that your traditional theories about career or progress might not be applied. So that this requires for us to be flexible and adaptable and be willing to change tactics with a very short notice without regret. Huh? And right. really... <laughs> are ready to adjust our roadmap according to the current situation. Yeah, that is so true right now that it is so unpredictable. Okay, final question. Do you have a favorite saying, quote, or motto? Oh, well, I have a, a number of them, but, but there is one that really has been with me for, for my entire life. And don't ask me where I think took it from, but, but really, I, I, I really like it. It's, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Oh, my goodness. I love that. Can you repeat that one more yes. time? I love that. Okay. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm going to write that down and put that up. That is a great thing. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate your you know, perspective on best practices for cultural communication. I learned a lot about doing the background research and kind of everything you talked about, whether it's mentoring someone from a different culture, take time to learn about that culture beforehand. Um, whether you are working with someone on a global team, take time to learn the norms of like your example of leadership. You know, if there's a leader in the room, is it hierarchical? Will people, you know, give you feedback or pushback? Take time to learn that and figure that out. And I liked your examples of continually asking questions, getting feedback, you know, understanding in an M&A whether or not the two cultures will even be a good fit. And your examples of the importance of building trust, walking your walk, you know, being empathetic and just, you know, being a person that 
other people in any culture can really count on and depend on and a person that you know keeps their word so that is just this has just been really great to hear your perspective and i'm so grateful to you for all the mentoring you've done for mentium for all these years so thank you so much for that appreciate that thank you very much for this opportunity and very proud of being a mentor of mentium Oh, thank you. And thank you all for listening to this episode of the Mentium Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please recommend it to friends and colleagues. We have many fantastic episodes lined up, so we look forward to having you back next time.